Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we'll focus on no-nonsense customer service for VARs and ISVs, and we have two special guests who are experts on that subject because they're retail IT solution providers who offer excellent customer service to their merchants every day. Our first guest is Randy Gunter, one of the principals of VAR Spark Solutions Group, where he leads business operations. Randy started at Spark in 2007 as an implementation specialist. The company was known back then as Cowens Retail Systems. And then Randy was promoted to director of operations and then vice president. Hey, Randy, great to talk with you. Thanks, Jim. Good to talk to you too. Yeah, always, always a pleasure. Our second guest is Jeff Sanders. He's the president of VAR Southwest Point of Sale. Jeff's father started the company in 1975. Jeff joined in 1983. Then since his dad retired in 1992, Jeff and his brother Mark have been leading the business. So if you're doing your math on that, it's 39 years uh, moving in on celebrating 40. Jeff, uh, congratulations on the longevity and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. So I'm hoping both of you can give a little bit more color on your organization so our listeners and viewers can better understand your perspective and, and how you provide customer service. So again, I gave a brief overview of what you do, but Randy, can you tell us about Spark in terms of the regions you serve, the verticals you serve, how many employees you have, details like that? Yeah, so we are, uh, we're based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, the regions we serve, we're kind of all over the US, but the majority of our customers are in Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, Washington, and California. Um, we're a small organization. We have five employees. Um, I say that with an asterisk because we also utilize a third-party help desk um, so that uh, our group is much larger, uh, but as far as actual headcount on Spark, it's five. Got it. Can you talk about that in terms of the help desk, if you don't mind going into a little bit more detail in terms of how exactly that works? Because that ties in a lot with how you provide customer service. It does. Uh, we actually use, like I said, it's a third party. It's another um, it's another bar based in the Midwest. Um, they've been handling our customer service for quite a few years. It's the second, it's the second time or the second uh, entity we've used um, and we've had fantastic success with it. Got it. Wonderful. Great to hear. Jeff, tell us a little bit about Southwest POS. Well, there are uh, seven of us at the moment. Uh, we are hiring. Uh, we uh, cover uh, Southern California. We're in San Diego, Southern California, uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, uh, Arizona, principally. We have customers further away, but that's our primary area. And uh, grocery is our primary vertical. Uh, we also do uh, liquor stores, convenience stores. Great, and thank you. Unlike their oh, go ahead. Unlike their company, we we uh, we do everything here in house. Got it. Thank you. And so, you know, I purposely sought out Randy and Jeff for this podcast. This isn't like some random selection of, hey, let's get two VARs and talk about customer service. But I know that they provide outstanding service because we've worked together, done some things that we'll get into a, a little bit later from a customer service standpoint. And neither one of them are obviously giant 
organization. So too many times advice that goes out to resellers is like, you should do this. And someone's like, well, yeah, I'd do that if I had 50 people, but like I don't. And so you're going to hear on this podcast ideas and tactics that are attainable for most every size solution provider. So um, Jeff, let's stick with you. Can we talk about overarching philosophies related to customer service? Like what are some of your guiding principles that you have there at Southwest POS that you believe in, your people believe in? Well, you know, I was thinking about that, and and one of the things that I learned here pretty early is something that I heard from a service manager that my dad had hired, and this was probably more than 30 years ago. Um, you know, I was back working in the service department, which is where I started, and the thing that he said always struck me, and I never forgot it. He said, uh, we don't want to get the customer's uh, used to used to good service. We don't want to get the customers used to good service because if we provide good service, they're going to always expect good service. And I thought, isn't that kind of backwards? Isn't don't we want to provide good service to keep the customers, not get them used to bad service? Well, he didn't last too much longer. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I never forgot that. And so. You know, that's, this business is about service. It's not about price. It's not about features. And even when I talk to customers who want to buy a system, I explain that to them. And I think they're a little caught off like, well, I'm looking for the right system. Well, you can get the right system, but it's not about the right system. It's not about features. It's about service. And our service is outstanding. And, you know, I tell the customer, you can call any one of our customers. And they'll tell you how good it is. And that's the reason, Mr. Customer, you should do business with us. And and I, it is true. It's The customer is not necessarily always right, but the customer is our business partner, and we're going to work with them. Got it. Great. Thank you. I was a little nervous where you were going with that from the start. I was thinking I, I didn't expect that. Uh, and somebody, I hope nobody was listening and taking notes like, okay, don't get them used to good service. But uh, I'm, I'm gl- <laughs> or, glad. I turned it off after I said that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Figure out how to mute you uh, and go forward. No, that was, that was great. Thank you for that. Uh, Randy, uh, what's a principle or some principles that, that guide you, that guide Spark? Um, I think ours is uh, fairly simple. It's just a common sense approach to customer service. Um, really, it's treat our customers the way you want to be treated. Um, most of the people that we hire are come from the hospitality industry, so they've worked in restaurants, in bars, in hotels, they've been the ones who've had to call someone's help desk. So they know, they know what to expect. Um, they know how to, um, you know, they know how to deal with the situations that are presented to them. Great. And I'm hoping both of you can expand upon, uh, like I had a note that said, ask about the customer's always right. And Jeff, you said the customer isn't always right, but they're our partner. Can you expand upon that? And then Randy, I'm hoping you can as well. Well, I mean, they're in business, we're in business, we're helping them. They're obviously paying us and helping us. Um, Whatever happens, we need to continue the relationship. And, um, you know, sometimes we disagree. You know, they don't think uh, maybe a service that was provided is, was worth it. Um, Or, but, um, you know, I'm going to work it out with them and they're still going to be our customer. 
Got it. So you have to steer them at times. Is that essentially what you're saying? Like sometimes they might not have all the data, so you've got to educate them. Well, well it's not just that. Uh, maybe I don't have all the all the data, and um, and we're going to come to an agreement, and they're still going to be our customer, and we're going to move on. We're, we're going to continue working together. And you know, I it, it's not a situation. I can't remember a situation where I ever hung up the phones saying, you know, don't ever call me again. Because that's not what we're here for. Got it. Thank you. And Randy, before you expand upon that, I remember talking to Jason Cowan, who's uh, one of the other principals there at Spark and who served on the RSPA board uh, with Jeff back in the day, and him talking about the importance of giving guidance, gently correcting and steering customers instead of just, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm going to do, because that sometimes can lead them to the outcome that, that they don't want. So I guess talk about your uh, how you handle in terms of when the customer isn't always right. What do you do there? Um, it's that exact same situation. It's um, you're trying to get to the same outcome, um, but it is kind of the gentle hand guiding, guiding you through kind of the rough waters. Um, you know, customers at point A, we're at point B. It's trying to you know meet in the middle to where everyone's happy and we can accomplish the task that is uh, kind of set out in front of us. Got it. And do you do that? Is it email? Is it phone? Is it face-to-face? -face? It is whatever communication method it takes? Um, really, our customers communicate all over the place. Um, it seems like texting is the new, the new way that everybody wants to communicate with us, which is the difficult part because um, we try to answer everything over the phone just because it's much easier. There's less, less room for error, less gray area that somebody could read into you know, your, text, your text writing. Um, but a lot of how we get uh, information is the text. My okay. system's down, something like that. Got it. Well, let's expand upon communication because a frustration that I have when I'm trying to connect with a VAR or an ISV is their phone systems. They're complex. A tons of times they lead to nowhere and it's like impossible to talk to a human. And so I, I you know, I want VARs and ISVs to listen to bo what both of you have to say on this subject so they understand the value of being easy to get a hold of and how that's fundamental to great customer service. So I guess, Randy, if you can talk about this first in terms of, you know, you touch on a little bit how you communicate with your merchants and how about when they have an urgent issue? Can you talk about how you lower the bar for them to be able to get in touch with you? If you could span upon the text and your phone system, things like that, so our, our listeners get a better picture. So ours, our system, again, we're small, so our phone system's, again, relatively small. Really, we only have a few options. It's, if you call in, you are either getting patched over to our help desk, or you're getting patched to all the phones in the office, basically ringing. So if you're, you have an accounts receivable question, or, um, if you're trying to order paper or anything like that, it all comes to the same group of people. Um, email is kind of the same thing. We all have, uh, you know, if you if you email into our main, you know, support at number, it all comes to us. We all have eyes on it. Uh, same thing if customer service or the help desk escalates something up to us, we all have eyes on it. So everybody's aware of the situation um, that goes on. One thing we don't do is we don't give our tech cell phone numbers out. Um, just because it takes away that uh, visibility. Um, if a customer or text on site working with a customer and another customer is trying to text him and he's not answering, you know, the customer is getting terrible support. So we try to steer clear of that. Um, sales, of course, they always have their cell phone numbers. So they will, they will start raising flags if a customer is having an issue. 
So you mentioned earlier, you, you communicate with your customers by text. And so how do you do that? Is there a system that you use or, or am I uh, not following that? Um, if a customer is texting, they're typically texting uh, Jason, um, my system's down, and then Jason will uh, either forward that text to our help desk to say, will you reach out and take care of this, or one of the texts internally. Um, we are working on a system where a customer can text and actually start a ticket with the help desk. Um, that's kind of in a beta model right now. Okay, got it. Interesting. Jeff, uh, talk about your uh, communication in terms of how you communicate with your merchants and how they get a hold of you when they have an urgent issue. Well, first of all, we do not have uh, any kind of automated phone system here. When you call this office, a real person will answer the phone. Uh, we have two people that answer the phone, and um, one of them is somewhat technical. Uh, she can she can help people directly in a lot of cases. Uh, we do not have any voicemail in this company. So when you call, if the person isn't available, we're going to take a uh, message for them and we're going to either call that person or text them or whatever the, whatever's going on we're going to make that person uh, directly aware that someone is trying to find them they're not going to get lost in somebody's voicemail um, and then after hours if you call uh, on weekends or in the evenings uh, there's actually a live answering service I, I can remember being in the office after hours and watching the phone when we didn't have, when we had an automated system. And people I could see were frustrated. They would just keep calling back and calling back and calling back. So we got rid of that. So when you try to call this company, you're always gonna to talk to a live person. And I think that's really important. The other thing is that um, almost every customer has my phone number, my cell number. And I am somewhat technical, and uh, certainly during the day and, and a lot after hours, too, people do call me with questions, and sometimes I can answer the question and, some, and fix the problem, and sometimes I can't, in which case I'll get somebody else to help them. But I do hear over and over again how much people like that. I, I have a new customer. Um, and I worked with him for just a couple of weeks during uh, implementation. And he said to me, he said, you know, Jeff, your company and your service is, a, is five stars out of five. It just is. He goes, you always answer your phone. You always know the answer. And, you know, my wife says, you know, if people call you at all hours. They do. But, I mean, they're usually people are friendly and their questions are not too complicated. They don't take a lot of time. So I, uh, I think that's been a real key. People like that they can call the boss. The boss always answers. And the boss frequently knows, not always, but frequently knows what he's talking about. And, and I guess I could picture people listening to that and being like, I don't want to give all my customers my cell number. And again, it depends on the size of your organization, whether you can do that or not, but or follow the principle of, hey, here's one person that you can always, always call. And so do you find that it is just a great step whenever they need it, but it's not that people abuse that system? Or can you give a little bit more color on that? Because I, again, see some people listening to this and going like, I would never even try to do that. I'm going to get crushed. Uh, no, what's, what's it like no. when everybody has your number? Most most people don't abuse it. Um, 
people are are fairly reasonable, and most people, if they're going to call me, if they're going to call me a lot, they call me during the day, which is fine. Um, evenings, you know, I do get some calls from some people. It's not a lot. Sometimes, you know, I'll go a week without hearing from anybody, and sometimes it'll be, you know, one one call in the evening, something like that. And it's never overwhelming. And even when I'm, you know, traveling out of town, whatever, I, I still answer. I, I've been on top of mountains, faraway beaches, and, you know, I still answer the phone and talk to people. Um, they don't know where I am. I solve the problem and, you know, everybody's happy. And, you know, I, the fact that I can help people out and I can be anywhere, um, is one of the reasons I, you know, do this job. It's, it's, it's just a good thing. It's, it's, it's typically not overwhelming. I mean, there are times where you just don't want to talk to anybody, but I just make the call a little briefer. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And speaking of calling people when they're not in town, I remember the very early days of cell phones. I called somebody, I'm in Eastern time, and I was calling them a little bit after 8 a.m. And they answered, and I was asking them some questions. And he's like, I'm out in Vegas right now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 5.15 in the morning. I am so sorry for waking you up. And he said, I haven't gone to bed yet. Uh, so he was giving a little glimpse in terms of uh, he was going to answer the phone no matter what, no matter where uh, where he was. I stopped asking any questions after that. Uh, I, I didn't want to know what was in the, he was in the middle of. So, um, so Randy, Jeff alluded to five stars. And so both of your organizations know that your uh, customers do rate you oftentimes with five stars because one of the methods that you use to improve your customer service is working with the RSP to conduct what we call an, an annual customer survey called the customer health checkup. So the RSPA puts together uh, a series, a survey itself using SurveyMonkey. We have all the questions lined up. We give you the emails in terms of that you can go and send out. And then the RSPA goes and collects that data. We average out what we've received, all the customer health checkup data that we've reviewed with other uh, VARs and ISVs. And then we go and put that together and we're able to share with you what your scores are, what the customer feedback is, and then compare it against the industry average. So I don't say that as a commercial. I say that to uh, to let folks know that's what a customer health checkup is. The commercial part is you have to be a member to be able to take advantage of it. So join the RSBA if you haven't already. So let me ask you first, Randy, then Jeff. So like, why do you take time to conduct a survey like that? And what's the benefit that it provides your business uh, to, to survey your customers every year? Um, I think it's a great gauge um, to really kind of understand where, where our customers are coming from. Um, we send out uh, we send out a survey after every single ticket. Our help desk sends out a survey after every single call. Um, a lot of times those people aren't necessarily the decision makers that we send the surveys out to. Um, so it's nice to know kind of what higher up in the organization, what they're thinking about how well we're doing uh, for them. Um, like I said, it's a great gauge to know uh, how our customers are feeling. Sometimes it's anonymous. It's, I mean, yes, it's coming from us, but they can be anonymous. Um, maybe they'll tell us something that they wouldn't necessarily want us to know. You know, when you close the ticket, you kind of know who's answering uh, that particular survey. Um, so it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice picture of uh, our relationship. Great. Thank you. Jeff, why do you do it? Why do you do the annual customer survey? I, I like to get those comments because uh, I think the key is in the comments. Um, and we do use some of the better com comments um, 
Uh, we actually have a page on our website where we post the customers' comments. We talk about our service. Um, I, I think everybody should do that survey, though. I mean, if you're afraid to do it, um, that, there's more reason to do it then. Um, it, it's, uh, you, you really should see what people think. And, I mean, if you're afraid to ask them, uh, like I said, that's, there's more reason to do it. I agree. I agree with Jeff. If you don't do it, I would highly suggest doing it. Got it. And why do you say that, Randy? Like, why don't, aren't you nervous about getting negative feedback uh, from customers? And, you know, some people have concerns like, I, you know, I think you're going fine. I think they're going okay. I don't want to whack the bee's nest with a club, <laughs> right? Um, I don't think the head in the sand approach is a good way of running a company. Um, it's part of the customer service experience. Like, you can, you think that you may be giving five-star customer service, but your customers may think that it's, you know, a one-star, a no-star customer service. Um, you don't know that unless you ask them whether or not that's true. Um, so you put, you definitely open yourself up to uh, some questions and, you know, you need to be comfortable with the feedback and be able to follow up with the customer to say, Ooh, hey, sorry, we may, looks like we dropped the ball on you there. Yeah, give them so the opportunity. Kind of like to oh, go ahead, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going to the doctor. You don't want to go to the doctor because you're afraid of what he's going to say. <laughs> I did have a friend like that one time. He went to the doctor. He talked to the PA, and the PA gave him an overview that seemed positive. And he's like, that's the news I was looking for. I'm leaving. Like, don't you want to stick around and talk to the doctor? Nope, nope, nope. I heard what I wanted to. I'm getting on with my life. So um, there are certainly different approaches to it. So, I, Jeff, besides the survey, what are some other best practices you follow to make sure that your team is providing excellent customer service and doing it consistently? What are some other tactics, some other best practices? Well, we, uh, we actually have an in-house system here that can give us a lot of reporting, but um, you know, we were discussing this uh, actually with a friend of yours, Tom Bronson, yesterday. Uh, we have a lot of data here, but because we're not very large, um, it's, a, it's a little hard to to make sense of that data. Um, I mean, we have a, a decent sample size, we just don't have a lot of people. So, you know, uh, what we do is um, we're, we're just looking for customer feedback. If, you know, bills that maybe aren't paid, I gotta follow up and see, maybe they didn't have a good experience, maybe they don't think it was worthwhile, something wrong there. Or if customer calls in, I'm gonna talk to them or I'm gonna go visit them. And it's just following up on stuff. The tech comes back in and says, oh, such and such wasn't very happy when I was there today. Uh, I'm going to follow up on it. So it's just, uh, we just kind of, we are small enough, we can kind of micromanage things. I, I mean, obviously people can't, most, a lot of companies can't do that. Uh, but we're small enough and everybody is focused on, on providing uh, excellent customer service. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversation that goes on and there's a lot of good communication here. And so we really focus on people that maybe didn't have a good service experience. Got it. And a lot, of times, a lot of times the customer is going to call me and let me know because they have my cell number. So, which I welcome them to do that. I, if there's something wrong, I really want to know about it. Right. I think it's in the book Switch by Chip and Dan Heath, where it talks about you might not be able to change the people, but you can change the path for them. That's almost what it sounds like in terms of since you have such a low barrier to communicate with your team and communicate with you, 
then that like in itself is a best practice system that's going to you know open up the channel for for dialogue and making sure somebody doesn't get too far off track if I, if I'm understanding that correctly. That works for us. It works for us because of our size and we're all in the same building. Yep. Got it. Randy, how about for you? What are some of your best practices or what are some of the data that you gather that Jeff kind of uh, referred to that help you stay on track? Um, so like I said earlier, we do uh, we do send out surveys after every ticket we get. Um, it's a simple survey. It's a, um, from a company called Smileback. It's either a thumbs up, a thumbs down, and then they can leave their comments. Um, we utilize those surveys uh, during our quarterly reviews for our employees because um, they get a Smileback score. Um, we encourage them to really uh, push the customers to answer those surveys. It could, they are so simple, um, but that's what we use. Uh, as far as data goes, we don't collect a lot of data um, just because it's very visual for us to see everything that comes in, every escalation we get. We get daily reports from the help desk as far as calls that they've been getting, what they've opened, what they've closed. Um, so like I said, there's not there's not much. If a customer's upset or there's an issue happening, we all know about it. So there's not much that could be hidden or missed somewhere. Got it. Great. And just so folks know, before we take a quick break, that's why we titled this No Nonsense Customer Service. I knew that uh, Randy and, and, and uh, Jeff weren't going to come in here and give some like highfalutin, PowerPoint, whatever, you know, like you guys have very simple, straightforward, transparent systems that keep you connected with your customers. So thanks for those details. I do have a few more questions for you, but let's pause here for a second to let our listeners and viewers know an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual memberships for VARS start at just $250 a year for dozens of high value services. Also, we want to thank our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor for 2022 is Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are Brother, CoCard, Heartland, Plastic Printers, ScanSource and Shift4. And finally, don't to get, don't forget to save the date for a great event this year. Uh, it's RSPA Retail Now, the Retail IT Channel's uh, number one conference. It's July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Uh, Retail Now is where the industry meets. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Jeff and Randy don't have to do that because they're already members obviously but they can if they want and that is our if you're looking for a uh, customer standpoint membership at gorsp.org that goes to our vp of member services it goes to some other operations side people and we act on those things uh right away and we list all our phone numbers direct uh, on our website as well so it's uh, pretty straightforward to get a hold of us as well but that's not what we're here to talk about the RSPA's customer service. We're here to talk to Randy and Jeff about theirs. So I want to talk about, and you've talked about all the positive things that happen, but there are times where you have an upset customer. So let's talk about winning them over. And so the nine principles that I share, the nine steps, when I've uh, conducted customer service workshops for ISVs and VARs are this. Number one, address the situation immediately. Number two, remain calm. Three, don't take it personally. Four, use your best listening skills. Five, apologize gracefully, but don't admit fault. Six, find a solution, take quick action. Seven, thank them, no matter how upset they are, thank them. Uh, eight, take a minute if you need it. And then nine, follow up. So folks want that list, you can email 
membership at GoRSPA.org, and that'll get you access to that. Just mention that you want uh, that list and you heard it on the podcast. So, Jeff, can you start us off? Can you tell me about what actions you take at both a leadership level and a staff level to win over a customer that might be upset? I know it's a rarity for both of you guys, but it does happen from time to time when they're disappointed. I like your list. Um, yeah, if I find out about something, I uh, either am going to call and talk to the person directly, the owner, uh, or I'm going to go out and visit them. I I could text them or email them. I uh, just for me, uh, my age, I feel more comfortable going and visiting or calling somebody. Um, and, and I just have to find out what the problem is. And, you know, if, if the majority of our customers are on a maintenance contract, so the issues aren't about money. Um, but I mean, for those customers that, that we do have to write a bill for sometimes, um, you know, they're not happy, either they think it's too much or they didn't think it was worth it or, you know, didn't fix the problem. They got a bill anyway. You know, just I, I just tell people um, and just pay what you think is fair. That's all. And I just leave it at that. And you know, if if they don't want to pay anything, okay. If that's what they think is fair, I have to decide after the fact if I thought it was fair for me. Um, but um, I'm I'm not going to twist anybody's arm to pay for something that they didn't think had value. So, um, you know, I, I rarely get an argument from the customer about that. And, you know, f you know, uh, in a one service call uh, isn't going to make us or break us, obviously. So, um, like I said, I just have to go back after the fact and figure out where the problem really was. Was it really us? Was it something the customer did? And then just decide, you know, going forward, uh, what our strategy is with that customer. And if, if part of that is going back and talking to our employee and saying, you know, what did you do? What did you say? Um, what could we have done better? Then, you know, we just address it right there. Again, Got we're it. small enough. We don't have, we don't have 10 of those kinds of things a day. We have yeah. one of those, we have one of those a week kind of a thing. And so tell me about how that's worked out. Again, you said some things that will probably taking people outside of their comfort zone on this, which is great. Uh, but where you say, hey, pay what you want. It almost reminds me of Horst Schulze, who ran the Ritz-Carlton. And he would give his employees, he'd say, you could spend up to $2,000 to make something right from your customer. And, of course, his accountants were like, no, 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 you can't do that. But I think in all their time, they only had one person who, like, spent all of the $2,000 or, or needed it. I guess, can you talk about... Um, that doesn't end up getting abused and, and how customers react to it and how that actually works out from a bottom line standpoint when you say, pay what you think is fair. Well, it doesn't affect our bottom line at all. Um, it, it just is not a very frequent occurrence where I have to use that reasoning with a customer. Um, but it's hard for a customer to argue with that. I mean, I leave it to them to make the choice. And if, they don't want to, pay, you know, rarely do people say, well, I don't want to pay for it. They just have some issue somewhere. They didn't think it was timely, the service, or they didn't fix everything, or it, the the estimate was, um, the, the charge was much higher than we thought it was going to be from an estimate standpoint. And 
Uh, you know, if I just give the, the customer the choice as to what they think it's worth and how much they want to pay, then uh, usually the customer's pretty happy after that. Like I said, I just have to decide if I thought it was fair for me after the fact. Got it. I will say back, I'm going way back to my high school days when we would do car washes for fundraisers. We didn't charge a price. We just said free will offering. And so whatever you wanted to pay. And we got way more 20s than we did ones uh, when we did that, right? Like people ended up being more generous uh, than than you might expect. So uh, Randy, talk about how you and how Spark wins over an upset customer. What actions do you take uh, both at the leadership level and the staff level? Um Basically, what we've done is uh, just kind of empowered our staff uh, to handle the situation themselves. Um, if they get into some murky waters where it comes to the point of, you know, I think we should credit this invoice and not necessarily charge them, then we'll have that. They'll bring it up to me. We'll have that conversation um, and they can deliver, uh, deliver it to the customer. It's very rare that a situation, it's very rare that a situation ever comes to me to have to handle. Um, they're really good about taking care of the customers that they're working with. And how have you empowered them? Like I was actually just talking to a group yesterday about delegation. I said, there's ignorant empowerment, right? That's when you're going in for surgery and the surgeon has the intern and they're like, you know what? I'm going to empower you to do this surgery. Like that is not what you want to hear when the anesthesia is is taken over. So how do you make sure that your team is making the decisions the way that you uh, would want them to? What, what do you do to train them up? Um, one, you got you got to hire the right people to do it. Um, that's that's kind of the biggest one. Uh, a lot of the the personality types we have in that uh, in that uh, in that group are definitely pleasers. Um, so we know right from the get go that they're already on the right side uh, of this discussion. They're going to do kind of whatever it takes to make sure that their customers happy. Um, our techs are usually the ones that deal with the customers. Um, they've got they've got those relationships as well. Um, they're just super tight relationships, so they're able to have those frank conversations with customers. Um, other than that, they kind of know we have. Again, we're so small, we communicate so much that everybody kind of knows where we are, where the you know where the lines need to be drawn as far as what you can. Give away to a customer um, where you need to, you know, bring either Jason and or I in to have a discussion if a customer gets that upset, which I don't know if that's ever been the case. Um, but it's just allowing them the freedom to be smart, responsible. Like I said, they've worked in this industry; they know how uh, they know what they would expect if they were, you know, either in the kitchen or the bar manager or the general manager, what they would want out of this out of this relationship. So it's just allowing them the freedom to do that. If they make a mistake afterwards, we can say, "Ooh, that was that was expensive for us. <laughs> Let's learn from that." But uh, definitely allowing them to, to to make the mistake. Got it. But it sounds like in early on, you find people who are aligned with you from a character standpoint and from a drive standpoint, and then you can work in synergy. You don't have to arm wrestle with anybody. I you always used to say, you know, when I was hiring somebody on the operations side of the business, you didn't want somebody who just said, yeah, deadlines are fine and customer service is good. You want somebody who's like going to break out in hives if the right thing doesn't happen for the customer and, and handled in the right manner. And then all you have to do is train them up on your product, right? Because you're not gonna have to twist their arm in right. order and to then, do the right I mean, thing. 
the, the good thing too about hiring from the hospitality industry is that's what they're in. They're in hospitality. They're already dealing, you know, they've already got fantastic customer service skills. So it's nice just to transition that over to us. Wonderful. I love it. All right. So we're towards the end of our podcast here and folks might be thinking, this sounds so easy. It's all perfect and everything falls into place. I want to talk about some mistakes that maybe you've made uh, historically. Jeff, if you could talk first about that, any mistakes that you've made, mistakes that you see other VARs making that kind of put you in your time machine. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. Well, it's, it's something I already mentioned, which was having an automated phone system. Um, I, I just you know, I, I all of us call big companies, and we automatically are in some a phone tree somewhere. And um, I don't think um, any of us prefers that. Um, and I, I think that was something that we were able to fix, and it's really been a lot better. I, I think about different companies uh, that I call, like Southwest Airlines, or if I call American Express. Um, those companies, you can talk to somebody fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate that. Um, the ones where, um, and I just probably don't want to name names, but the ones where you just have to keep going through menu after menu after menu, um, I imagine if people have some kind of problem with their system, um, after about two minutes of that, they pretty much had it. So, you know, I'd say that's, uh, that was probably the biggest thing we changed and has, has just been a huge improvement. You know, on a, on a thing that uh, we were talking about with Randy, and this is something we talked about at Inspire um, a few weeks ago about hiring people who care. Hiring people who care, um, you know, whether they're technically savvy or whatever, they may have shortcomings, but if they care, they're going to, look to do the right thing. Yep, and for those watching on YouTube, I am grabbing a note that I referred to, Jeff, when we had this conversation that's up on my board that says actually care. When I was doing a customer service training uh, session with uh, an RSP member, I talked about how when I first started, the first ever training that I went to, we were supposed to start at 9 a.m. and it still hadn't started, it was 9.15, we're waiting outside, it's because the uh, owner of our company was talking with the folks who were delivering it, and then he started the session, instead of getting into all the tricks and tips and stuff, he just put in all caps on the whiteboard, actually care. If you actually care about the customer, all these things are going to fall in place. If not, it's just a bunch of things you're trying to do to avoid their wrath, right? So actually care. So God, I love that. Uh, Randy, uh, what would you say in terms of mistakes that you've made, mistakes that you see other folks make that uh, gives you heartburn? Um, I think mistakes we probably have made in the past is um, kind of goes back to hiring, hiring the wrong people. Um, You don't get many chances with a customer when you give a bad impression. Um, all of a sudden, they don't want to deal with that person anymore. And in a small uh, in a small environment, that's detrimental um, when they will only talk to one person in the organization and they want to deal with anybody else because they've had a bad experience. Um, so I think that would probably be our biggest mistake: not not hiring correctly, not training correctly. Um, maybe keeping them on a little too long and burning bridges that uh, that shouldn't have been burned. Um, I think we've got more processes in place to, uh, you know, again, you live and learn. 
what works. And I think where we are now uh, in how we hire and what we look for in people uh, kind of avoids avoids cool. that. And how do you look for it and how do you find it? Like that's, I know one thing, you know, I've, oh, I've talked yeah, about hiring with folks and oftentimes they're like, I can't see that on the resume. So what do you do to find out that they actually if I care? I could give you the answer to that question, I would be, uh, I would have a stack of books behind me all by myself, all written by myself, <laughs> and I would be incredibly wealthy. Um, it's the million dollar question, how do you find good people? Um, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's luck. It's really luck. Um, some people interview so well and you're in love with them and they start working for you and you're thinking, what, what did I do? Um, that show, who did I marry situation? You know, yeah. it's a ser serial killer next to me. Um, it's, it's luck. It's just, you know, ensuring, ensuring that you get good people. You try your hardest to make sure that what you're asking them, doing your research, asking, you know, talking to previous employers and seeing what they're doing. Um, usually it's work. Yep. Um, they've either worked for our customers and wanted a change in jobs. Um, so we had a really good relationship with our customers. We know kind of behind the scenes how this person is. So um, that's been our, that's kind of where we've, we've had our most success. I got to ask Jeff, do you think it's luck? Well, there's definitely some luck to it. I mean, even if you know people, um maybe they're they work at a customer's or something until you actually are in the trenches with them you, you just don't know what you're going to get you, you just don't so i mean luck is is part of it certainly uh, i mean you, you just have to have those hard conversations i think before before you hire somebody and and maybe that's Going to scare people off, but maybe you should scare them off. You know. That's, so that's exactly right. That's why I didn't want to be disagreeable. But I don't. I mean, so is there some good fortune that comes in with it, with good timing? Like, yeah, I can talk about. You know, one of the best people we ever hired, Jameson Publishing. He had. We were. Uh, our recruiter was lost looking for a newspaper. Happened to bump into him. I hear for the job fair. Maybe we should talk. And he's just been an unbelievable uh, sales and customer service person for them. Like. 20 plus years. So there is some element to it. But I just want to say, I mean, maybe both of you don't realize it is, but this is the guidance that I give for folks who are struggling with hiring. Step number one is raise the bar, raise your standards. Too many people, as one part told me, what's your hiring standard? Can they fog a mirror? Right. And so you guys are both looking for something that's much, much better than that. And the folks who I talk to, they're saddled because they just find the least worst person who applied for their job in a two week period. If you don't find a person who fits your standards in that two week period, wait two more weeks, right? And if they have to wait two more weeks, wait two more weeks. You're gonna like that way better than to what you alluded to, Randy, in terms of like burning bridges and having to go and retrain and all that stuff. Raise your bar, take time, really dig in like Jeff, you just alluded to, test them in the interview process, have hard conversations with them. So. Uh, I, I apologize. And I do have to say, uh, so I do have a book behind me, uh, Randy, that I wrote on on hiring, but I will say it doesn't make you a millionaire um, because 90% of people think they're awesome at hiring and they don't have a problem. And, oh, this is the way that the world is. Nobody else can help me. But maybe I'm venting uh, personally here. So um, but I've been, I've been down that path before. It's unbelievable how many people think they well, I just don't have that gift and it can never work out for me. So 
Uh, that's another podcast. Uh, so last question uh, for both of you. Uh, so we talked about a whole bunch of things related to customer service. In 60 seconds, Jeff first and then Randy, like what would be one or two actions you'd recommend to the VARs and ISVs listening to us or watching us? So Jeff first. Well, I think it's just about what we were just talking about. Hire people who care. Hire people who care if you can get people like that. Um, I, well, I, I think you have, like we were just saying, I think you have to hold out until you find people like that. Um, um, we want people that come to work here to stay here for a long time because it takes a long time to train them on what we're trying to do here. Um, so hire people who care. And as I already mentioned the other times, I think the phone system is, you know, modify your phone system so it's very easy for people to get in touch with you. And if you have the wherewithal to do it and you have the mindset for it, um, you know, let take calls from the customer yourself. I, I, I can't tell you how many times uh, people just, they just are, thrilled that I talk to them, answer the phone every time. Even if I'm on a plane, I see, I'll see a text or something. I text people back. So I mean, it's, uh, people really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Tremendous. And to your point of, you know, hi, uh, hiring, uh, we just uh, wrote a blog post on the RSPA website. It talks about you're building a company, not filling an open position. So got to make sure you hire right. Randy, uh, wrap it up for us. Uh, one or two actions you'd recommend based on everything we've talked about today. Um, I think uh, I would agree with everything that Jeff just said. And I would add uh, to utilize the RSPA for the annual survey, the customer health, uh, the health survey. Um, it's a great tool to kind of get gauge where you are. Um, if there's any outstanding customers or outstanding issues customers are having with you or your organization, um, to know about them then. I mean, it is an annual survey, but uh, again, if you're not, at least do the annual survey and hopefully do uh, like after ticket surveys so you can really gauge how customers feel with, uh, with your staff. Yeah, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. You're going to yield something. And I think you might have said to me before, like a lot of the surveys we get back, maybe 19 out of the 20 don't tell us a lot we didn't know, but that one is worth doing it. Correct. Wonderful. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope that you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy with both the podcast and the customer health checkup surveys is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Jeff Sanders and Randy Gunther for sharing their wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA marketing manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.